This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the clarity of your word. And Lord, as we seek to be wise stewards, careful Bible students, help us to uh, apply these principles in a rational, reasonable way that gives glory to you and that demonstrates our faith that we truly believe what you have asked us and that we will believe that you will enable us to do even that which we find terribly difficult. And so I pray today, right now, and particularly this session, as we talk about some nuts and bolts, uh, looking at how to prepare a budget and think about the overarching tools at our disposal, I pray that you will, you will teach us and you will guide us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Come on in for those of you in the back. Let's begin. So, session three, the title is Counting the Cost, Relationships, Budgets, and Your Life. I am just making this little statement at the beginning of every seminar. Uh, in case you haven't heard it before, uh, we, my wife and I, we have a blog, savingthecrumbs.com, where we are writing on a fairly regular basis on financial topics, personal finance. Mo- a lot of it is just from our personal experience. Uh, we try to keep it lighthearted, try to keep it fun, and uh, we actually share a whole host of fairly private information. Most people consider, you know, how much you earn and how much you spend and things like that quite private, but we figured that if this is going to benefit someone, we actually share all that information. And uh, just as a little teaser, in a few weeks here, I'll be doing our annual financial report on how much we earned, how much we spent, how much we gave for the year 2015. And you can already see what we did in 2014 and the years before. But this is a special one because we had a baby. And so how did we do? Did the baby break the budget? Uh, You'll have to stay tuned, keep you in suspense. But uh, all of the handouts, or rather the slides that I'm using, the PDF handout has already been created. You can already access it right now through the GYC app. So I know a lot of people have been asking me about this. It's available on the app currently right now. Uh, So you can get it and follow along if you want. But of course, you'll be tempted to to read ahead and you'll spoil the surprise. Uh, And also, in the handout, I don't show you on the slides here, but in the handout, there are direct links to articles that I've already written on topics we address in the, each seminar. So when we talked about, when we talked about uh, why we should save money and the importance of you know, living a, a thrifty life and all those things, and even, even specific articles, I know some have asked, like I talked about how I have unlimited iPhone plan that has unlimited 4G LTE data on AT&T's network, phone, you know, calling, texting, unlimited everything for $20 a month. I have a whole series of blog posts talking about that. How I got my wife's iPhone for 50% off, all this kind of stuff. You can find it on the website, okay? And a lot of other stuff. How to save on electricity, heating, cooling, solar panels, and all the rest. So uh, I can't cover everything here, so that's why I keep mentioning this, because if you have further questions, chances are uh, it might have been addressed already in a, in a previous blog post. And we're always writing more stuff as well. So the title of this seminar is Counting the Cost. Where do we find this uh, in the Bible? Jesus tells this story in Luke 14, 28 through 30. 
For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who, begin to, uh, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. This is a true situation for so many. And here's what I sort of cringe at, is that the Bible, Jesus himself, gives us a very clear principle that it is wise to have a plan, right? We see that. But what's the problem? Is that sometimes we associate moving forward with no plan, we say that's living by faith. That's the problem. Because guess what? That ain't faith, people. Because faith takes God at his word, and what faith looks like is, God, you said that we need to look ahead and we need to lay down our plans. We have done the best plan that we have been able to concoct, and we believe you're leading us in this, and so by faith, we will embark on the plan and trust that you will make up the lack. You see the difference between that and, I don't need a plan. God will provide. You understand the difference? So it might be a fine nuance, uh, and you may not necessarily be able to tell the difference if you're viewing from the outside, but internally, I think this is important for us to remember as we apply to our own lives. So what's the lesson from this story? You must have a plan, and that's what this seminar session right now is going to be all about. How do we make a practical, useful, uh, financial plan that actually moves us towards our goals, helps us to be faithful to God, and be able to uh, avoid debt and the other pitfalls. So there are four, roughly four types of plans I'm going to discuss. And they all interact one with another, and I'll show you how they do in a minute. Number one, I call them life event plans. And you can call them what you want, but life event plans essentially is taking our goals in life. So whatever it is in our lives that's going to cost us money, we start with the goal. Okay, the end. Got to start with the end in mind. And after we have a life event plan, then we move into what uh, I call the savings plans. And the savings plans are sort of two sides of the coin. There is the long-term savings plan, things that we need five years or more down the road, and then short-term saving plans, things that we need within five years. And then after we figure out how much we need to save in the savings plan, then we move down to what we commonly call the budget. And what I call that is the monthly spending plan. Okay? It's the same thing, synonymous with the budget, but I don't use the word budget mainly because I like, I like the rhyme. Everything's a plan. And uh, also, the word budget comes along with it a lot of negative baggage. People associate budgets with tightening the belt, uh, painful cuts, uh, austerity. You know, we don't want that kind of connotation. What it is, it's a plan to help us reach our goals. A plan is to help us get to our destination, and our monthly spending plan is, is a part of the roadmap. And then finally, this is not exactly a plan, but it's a context in which these plans are created and executed, and that is within the context of relationships. And so uh, let, let me just show you in the, next, in the next slide. So this is how they relate. Everything is going to start with our life events. And life events, again, are the goals that we have for our lives looking forward, and that will feed into our long-term and short-term savings, okay? And then from the long-term and short-term savings, 
it moves us into our monthly spending. So you notice it's like a funnel. We're starting with the big picture. What are the goals we want to accomplish in our lives? And then it filters down into let's break this down. Okay, what are the long-term things I need, short-term things, and from there, it flows into our monthly uh, spending, which is what we uh, will be looking at on a more regular basis. And then the monthly spending feeds back into the long-term and short-term savings column, and then we have a nice little loop of feedback. It comes back over the monthly spending, and then there's a nice little loop there. You like that animation, don't you? And then all of this happens within the context of relationships. The fact is, we mentioned this very briefly earlier this morning, and that is relationships you know, and money can't really be separated. You know, if you are in a family, uh, guess what? The family's finances, no matter how you slice it, they're going to intersect. And also, if you really want to think about it this way, if you have life goals, life plans, it's going to affect your relationships. And so we can't deny this aspect of the money picture. Okay, so this is going to be our outline of, of, of the day, what we're going to be talking about. So let's start with life event plans. And this is, uh, these are the goals. All right, these are the things that we set, uh, we want to set up for ourselves going into the future, things that we want to be able to afford. So college and a career, I think for a lot of students, that's a pretty biggie. A wedding, that's another example, that's a major life event. We'll talk about more about that in a minute. A home purchase, that's a biggie. Buying a car, going on a vacation, having a baby. Uh, that's what we, my wife and I, we just had a baby this year. Debt payoff, of course. Uh, mission work, and I might add in here mission projects that you want to fund, or mission work if you want to go. And uh, I might also mention this. You know, I want to I wanna make sure I can afford going to GYC next year. I'm not sure. Well, stick it in a plan. It's a life event next year. I want to go to GYC. Put it on your life event plan and figure out how we can make it work. Okay, so if you have children, your children's education, that's a big item to pay for in the future. And then, of course, retirement is one of the biggest ones. So obviously, these are, this is not an exhaustive list. A life event could be anything. If you want to start a business, if you want to um, have a big you know, celebration of some sort, maybe it's a big 50th anniversary for your parents, whatever it is, you just need to have a plan. Think ahead and say, here's what I want to accomplish Write it down on paper or on a computer, and let's uh, move it, uh, make a plan to actually be able to achieve it. So once we have these life events listed, what are the, what's the information we need to, to know about them? These are the questions to ask, okay? How much money will it cost? I mean, that's a pretty basic question, but that's really what Jesus was saying. How much is it going to cost to build this tower? And substitute tower with whatever it is you put on the plan. How much is it going to cost me to uh, retire? Right? Down the road, whenever your retirement horizon might be. How much is it going to cost me to uh, put my kids through school? Or have a down payment on my house? You've got to have a dollar amount. And the question here is, not just how much will it cost, but what can I afford? And at this point, you might have a reality check and realize, you know what? What it is I really want is way beyond what's rational and reasonable within my budget. And at that point, you can adjust before you've overcommitted. You see, you don't want to start building the tower and end up realizing, oh, sorry, don't, I don't have enough to finish. Next question, when do I need this money? Very important. You've got to have a time frame because, you know, if you're retiring in five years, that's a much bigger deal than if you're 
20 or 25 and you've got 40, 45 years, right? So you've got to know when you need this money and how much do I need to start saving right now? And that's the pacing of the savings. And we'll talk more about that when we get to our long-term and short-term savings plans. So going through these questions and laying down these plans, it helps us not to go crazy. What do I mean by crazy? Let me give you just one example. Let's talk about weddings for a moment. This is uh, the 2012 Real Wedding Study from the website thenot.com and theweddingchannel.com. And this number right here, $28,427, was the national average cost of a wedding. And you might not see the fine print. It says, excluding the honeymoon. So, <laughs> wouldn't it be a surprise if you say, right, and, and let me back up a minute. When we talk about weddings, uh, weddings and having babies tend to be the two, one, two of the biggest moments in our lives where we throw all reason out the window. You've heard it before, right? You're the bride. It's your day. Do whatever you want. You know, it's only going to come around once, and, you know, just live it up, and that's the message. And so wouldn't it be a surprise if you realized, oh, I had the beautiful wedding that I loved, and bam, $28,000. Oh, my. So having a, having a life events plan, asking those questions, helps prevent the sticker shock. You can realize, hey, wait a minute. I want to have a nice wedding, but I don't have $28,000 to spend. So that's what, um, that's what it can help us do. So this is my wedding day. I got to, of course, throw a wedding picture in there if I'm talking about weddings. And so, you want to know how much we spent? We spent $3,000 on our wedding. All right? And my wife actually wrote an entire series on how we did that. And, you know, $3,000 for our wedding, you know, we were, we were pleased with that. But I know many people who spent far less. And, uh, you know, by the way, if you look at the picture, it wasn't a courthouse wedding. Right? $3,000, we actually had people, we actually had real food, and you know, it wasn't just an you know, online thing. So, <clears throat> so uh, $3,000, so it's possible to even spend less than this, and that, I'm not going to go any more on this. You can read our blog for more information. And so that's, that's life events. You've got to plan based on your goals, and this is really the point. You've got to start with the end in mind and create the plan to help you arrive there. So that's, this brings us to long-term and short-term savings plans. So what is the purpose of a savings plan? Well, the life events determine what we save for. Right? We gotta, that's, what, that's what the target is, so let's start with that. It helps us to keep the end in mind. You know, a wedding day, I would say that's a pretty noble aim. And uh, ready or not, here it comes, and so might as well have a plan to arrive all in one piece. It prevents the need to resort to debt. Because, you know, the $28,000 wedding, the reality is people just borrow money. They look at it and like, i got to have this beautiful day. I don't care if it's $28,000 or more or less. And so they borrow money. And so if you plan ahead, you can still have a beautiful wedding. Praise the Lord. Please, have a nice wedding. But you don't have to finance that with debt. And then uh, it gives us a target to save for rather than simply what not to spend. We're going to come back to this point because uh, this is sort of a fundamental principle of why I structure our, our financial plans in this way. So that's the purpose of the savings plan. And it feeds, or the life events feeds into our long-term and short-term savings. 
So long-term savings are, are things that we won't need for five years or more, or more than five years, short-term, things that we need in less than five years. So that's sort of the cutoff. When we say long-term, we, we mean five years. Uh, and in a long-term savings, this is the place where you can afford a little bit more risk and you want to put your money in some higher yielding accounts, different type of investments. However, for short-term savings, things under five years, you want to make sure your money is secure. And this is getting in, into a little bit of investing, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow. But this is just a little bit of uh, common sense. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You've heard that saying. Uh, so long-term, you want your money to work for you more. You want your money to grow and have a longer runway, but if it's short-term, your goal is to save that money and keep it from disappearing. Uh, so long-term savings, it's going to be a monthly savings, which means you're going to pace yourself because it's a long haul. This is a marathon right here. Okay? So you've got to have the plan of how much I need every month for me to achieve my goals at the state of time, whereas short-term savings, it's a sprint. And so you just knock them out as fast as you can in the order of priority. Okay, so these are the general differences of long-term and short-term savings. And so these are some examples of things that would go in either column. They may be different for you, uh, but long-term savings would be things, larger debts. And when I say larger debts, it might be things like a student loan or a mortgage. Okay, these are bigger debts. Smaller debts would be things like car loans and uh, credit cards. Uh, short-term savings, your emergency fund. Uh, I could spend a whole hour talking to you about emergency fund, its uses, why it's important and all of that, but it's very important, emergency fund, that's definitely a short term. College fund, that's a long term thing. If you wanna buy a house, long term, but it might be a short term for you. You might wanna buy a house in under five years. So you see these things can, can flip flop. And then weddings, vacations, and trips, generally you don't plan those out farther than five years in advance. If you're planning your wedding five years out in advance, good for you. Uh, sort of unusual, but I guess it's possible. And of course, retirement is usually the longest horizon. And then other things, cars, toys, gadgets, big purchases, those will be short-term things. So this gives you somewhat of an idea of the difference between the two. And so I want to walk you through another hypothetical scenario and introduce you to uh, Miss Frugal Fanny. And uh, of course, fictional character, but I think using an example can help um, make the principle is much clearer. And as you can see here, she's a registered nurse. All right, so this is Fanny's long-term savings plan, okay? She's got student loans that she needs to pay off. She has 35,000, and she wants to pay it off in 10 years. And this is how much she has to pay per month, $390. She also wants to buy a house in 10 years. She wants to have $20,000 saved up for the down payment. That's $160 a month. And then she wants to save for retirement. She wants $750,000, that's in 40 years, she's about 25 years old, $220 per month. This is the total amount she needs, and this is how much she needs to save per month. So the bottom line is that she must save a minimum of $770 each month to reach her long-term goals. And this is an important point because her long-term savings, there's like a list of three things. But it's hard to keep track of well, there's this, and then that, and the other thing, and how much was it again? This plan gives us one number to shoot for. I need $770 a month. That's it. Okay, so it gives us focus. So here's our short-term savings, uh, short-term savings plan. This is where things get a little bit interesting. She's got credit card debt, $1,000. She wants to pay it off ASAP. Emergency fund, $9,000. ASAP, 
And this is for about three to six months of her living expenses. That's a recommended uh, minimum amount. She's getting uh, married in August, $3,000 for that, $375 per month. And by the way, you know, she might be, uh, you know, we can substitute other things. This is just an example. It might not be a wedding. She might be saving up for her next trip to GYC next year. You know, you can substitute these things for other uh, items that she's saving for. And she's got a mission trip coming up in October, $500. Car loan, uh, her car loan comes up in 2017. She's still got $5,000 to pay. And then she wants a new computer in 2020, 1,500 bucks. And this is how much approximately she needs per month. So it's over $900 a month and she needs $20,000 for the short-term plan. All right. So the long-term plan, it was pretty straightforward. She needs this much and she has this much time and this is how much she needs to save per month. But the short-term plan, there are a few issues here. Okay, let's take a look at what some of them are. Number one, she's got credit card debt and she wants to pay it off as soon as possible because the interest is really high and she wants to get out of debt. And then she's got an emergency fund that she wants to save up for and she wants it as soon as possible. Well, how are you gonna drum up $10,000 as soon as possible? Like, what does that mean? That's one issue, all right? The wedding, okay, this one makes sense, $3,000. She just divide out by however many months between now and then, and that's how much she needs to save per month. Mission trip, 500 bucks, same thing, divide it out, how many months she's got. Car loan, this is not necessarily divide 5,000 divided by the number of months. This is just the amount of the car loan payment that she's been making. And the new computer, you just divide it out and $25 a month. So, we talked about the car loan a little bit, and this is where you may start picking up stones to throw at me. Because when you look at a line that says car loan, at least in my mind, the first thing that comes to mind is nobody should ever have a car loan. And this is a, one of the biggest myths that's pushed upon the American and maybe Western civilization as a whole public, and that is that you cannot buy a car without a loan. And in the next session, we'll talk specifically about what, is, what are the rules for acceptable debt and what is not acceptable debt and why it's that way. And I'll just spoil the surprise, a car doesn't pass the test. And so whenever I see that there is a car loan on the line here, I immediately ask the question, okay, so let's take a look at that and see if we can turn that for the good instead of just paying interest on a car. So we've got these issues that have been highlighted, and as you will see, as we deal with the car situation, it'll actually answer a lot of the questions about the other things. And so this may not be your situation, I understand, but this is an example, okay? So you can apply it how you will. So let's take a look at the car situation for Frugal Fanny. Being a frugal lady, of course, she drives a Honda, right? <laughs> so she's got a 2012 Honda Accord EX, which is worth about $13,000 according to Kelly Blue Book. And by the way, if you want to check the value of your car, Kelly Blue Book is the place to go. And this is actually a real number. A 2012 Honda Accord EX, literally today, with average mileage and all that, is, would be worth about $13,000 and she owes $5,000 on the car, okay? So you notice the car is worth 13,000 and she still owes 5,000. And I don't remember how much the car was worth before. Uh, and if you do know, uh, you will be able to very clearly see how much the car decreased in value from 2012 to 2015. And you will realize that you have paid 
a lot more money for a vehicle that really isn't worth what you paid. So that's the reason why we shouldn't borrow money for cars. So what should she do? Sell a car. And I need to pause here because I know that a lot of us have an emotional attachment to our car. And I, I understand, but you got to remember, it's just a car. And there are things that are more important than just the car. And let's see how selling the car helps Fugel Fanny towards her goals. So she sells the car for $13,000. She gets her blue book value on the car. She pays off her loan, $5,000. Okay, so that's subtracted out of the $13,000. And then she spends $2,500 to buy a temporary car. Keyword, temporary. Because everyone's like, I can never drive such a junky, cheap car. Guess what? It's temporary, okay? You just do this for a little bit, and we'll see how it actually helps you get ahead, and you can end up with a nicer car uh, in a few short years. So right here, she has $5,500 free cash freed up just by selling her car and wiping out her car loan. You notice what, how she did that. So let's go back. Her short-term savings, all right? So we were right here with the car loan. She just scratched that out. It's gone. $5,000 loan, gone. And she got an additional $8,000 back, okay? She spent it, $2,500 to buy a car, so she has $5,500 left. She took $1,000, bam, credit card is gone. Emergency fund, she uh, basically covered half of her emergency fund. She needed $9,000, now she only needs $4,500 left. And all that because she was willing to say bye-bye to her beloved Honda Accord, and she, was now, she is now driving a temporary cheaper car. And by the way, you can still get a pretty nice car for 2,500 bucks. So I'm not asking you to drive a beater, junky car where the wheels fall off, but $2,500, if you shop well, you can actually get a pretty nice one. And so here's the key, all right? So there's that car, right? That car issue. I gave up the super nice Honda Accord EX. Oh man, how will I ever live with myself again? Well, notice this. She was paying $450 a month towards her car payment. Instead of paying that to the bank, she just pays herself that amount. And she doesn't change the timetable at all. She just saves it up to the same time, 2017. Uh, 2017. And guess what? That totals $10,000. $10,000. And so by the time that she would have paid off her original car loan, because she was willing to sell the car and step down for a temporary time to a lower cost vehicle, she would have saved up $10,000 in the same amount of time instead of just paying up five. And there's more. You remember she's driving a $2,500 car. When it comes time that she saved up $10,000, she sells that car. I don't know how much she'll get back. Let's just say $1,000. We're being you know, conservative here. She'll probably get more than that or, or 2,000, I don't know. And so she'll have 11 or $12,000 to buy another car. And by that point, guess what? 11, $12,000, she can buy a car, still used though, that is nicer and newer than the 2012 car she orig originally had. Does that make sense what I'm saying, yes or no? So the point is a temporary decrease in the luxury in your life, and we are not compromising the utility because you've still got a car to take you to work, right? And just for two years, you drive the cheaper car, and within two years, you can pay cash for a car that's nicer than the one that you gave up, okay? 
So this is what I mean of having your goals in place, all right, savings goals. And so that was a slight detour uh, about how she can manage her, her savings. So we've scratched a few things off here, uh, and so we've still got these other things that we have to deal with, and in particular that emergency fund. What are we going to do about it? She still needs 4500 bucks. This is where it's time to get creative, all right? $4,500, believe it or not, you've probably got it sitting around in your spare bedroom in your garage in your closet somewhere. Have a garage sale. Sell it. Sell your stuff. eBay or Craigslist, I should have put it on there. Just sell your stuff on Craigslist. She's a nurse. Not everyone can take extra shifts of work, but she can take a few extra sh shifts of work. Have a side job. By the way, uh, you can consider going canvassing. That's a great side job for Avenus to do. Somebody should have said amen out there. You can get creative and you can do other things, right? You can have hobbies that instead of just costing you money, have hobbies that actually make you money. You love making crafts? You've heard of Etsy, is it? Guess what? Your hobby to make something that you enjoy can actually become profitable for you, all right? And there's somebody uh, crocheting in my seminar right now. Still paying attention, of course. And so let's just say that with a combination of those things, she sold some of her extra shoes. <laughs> she, and I don't know how much she would get for those, but she's got a lot of shoes. So she got 4,500 bucks from her shoes uh, and or whatever else she did, Craigslist, Etsy, all these kinds of things. And she got her $4,500, okay? So let's just suppose that, that that happened. So this is now her new savings plan. Her, her emergency items up here that needed to be taken care of ASAP, she took care of them ASAP. Okay, she, she took, uh, 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 the, she took the, the knife and she cut out the loan, and as a result, she's on her way to a better and brighter future. So she's still got a wedding, mission trip, she's saving up for a new car now, computer, she needs $15,000 total and she needs $900 a month. Okay, so for a savings, the short-term savings, this is not the, the figure that we care about primarily. It's this figure right here, okay? And so the bottom line, we've got long-term and short-term savings. So the short-term is, we. this is a sprint now for the short-term. We want to get to $15,000 as soon as possible. And as we go, we're just going to save up for the things that are in order priority. We just go down the list. And then for the long-term savings, $770 each month. Okay, so that's it. We have, we boiled it down. So you notice what we did. We start with our life events. These are the goals we have in life. We organized it in such a way and we've asked the right question, we assigned dollar amounts, we projected to the future, we laid down the plans, when do we need this? And of course, plans change, right? We're not saying this is set in stone, but at least you've got something to adjust from instead of just wishing that things would turn out well. And then when we boil it down to its very essence, we've simply got two numbers that we're focusing on, okay? Short term, I need 15 grand. Long term, I need to have a pace for this marathon I'm running $770 each month. That makes it very easy to focus. So if for some reason you have a windfall, some sort of you know, special gift or inheritance or something, and somebody gives you $15,000, guess what? You don't say, oh, $15,000, what, what do I need to go spend this money on? You already know, right? You already know where the $15,000 is going to go. So it saves your hand from going into that cookie jar uh, when it's saved for something else. So Fanny's saving plan, okay, it reveals the clear priorities in her life. And that's important because it's taking real life and putting dollars to it 
and giving us a plan to achieve the things we want in life. All extra money, like what I just talked about, has a place to go instead of being spent. It gives a target number to save for in monthly spendings, and we'll talk about the monthly spending plan next, and it gives a final target number for total savings. Any surplus can be given away, and I want to come back to this point. The whole point that we're talking about is saving up for our needs. We don't need more than what we need. I mean, by definition, we have enough. And so if we reach this target, if she reaches all of her savings goals, and that's all, every dollar after that can just flow into the treasury of God. And listen, that's where I want to be. All right. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So that's what we are trying to do, telling our money where to go. So let's talk about the monthly spending now. Again, this is what most people call the budget, the big B word. And so we've got long-term savings, short-term savings, and now we have those two figures, $770 a month for long-term savings and then $15,000 a month. This now tells us in our monthly spending, how much extra do I need to be able to manage to squeeze out of my earnings? after I pay for all of my bills, okay? So that's the answer, or that's the question we're asking. So let, we, we list our projected monthly income. So this is how we construct our monthly spending plan. You start at the top with your projected monthly income. And so most people who have a regular paycheck, you pretty much know. Or you figure, I work so many hours, and this is my hourly wage and my take-home pay, right, after the taxes are withheld and whatnot. Uh, it's pretty straightforward for many of us, but if you have irregular income, let's say you're a contractor or you have your own business, you're going to have to project as best you can. You take a broad view, you average things out, you, you know when your high and low seasons are, if you have seasonal activity, and you do the best you can, okay? And you just project what you think will come in, and then you list your projected monthly expenses. And now how do we know how much our monthly expenses are? First session we talked about, you've got to track your spending. You've got to have a detailed tracking of what your spending is. And Ellen White confirmed that in the spirit of prophecy. We read that quote earlier. We want to assign dollar amounts to each category of expenses for the next month. So you're categorizing your expenses. Uh, and the goal is to reduce spending so as much can go towards savings as possible. And this is where my spending plan is a little bit different. A lot of, spend, a lot of budgets, they give you recommended percentages. Like you should be spending 25 to 30% on housing, 12% to 15% on, on, on lights and utilities and whatnot. And it's almost like, when I look at it, it's like, oh, I'm only spending 10% on my housing. Well, I've got to figure out a way to spend 25% because I'm not doing it right. Well, that's not the way I think about it. The reality is, the way we look at it, in my home, is that the ideal spending for any category is zero. That's the ideal. Obviously, that's not always possible, right? And you just simply... Uh, allow the expenses in your life as they become necessary. So if you are able to spend far less than what the typical budget recommends, good for you. The key is, do you have your needs met? That's the key. And so for an example, in our home, we pay zero dollars for electricity. So our, our budget line item for our electricity is zero. And we, the reason is because we've saved up, we invested in solar panels. I told this story earlier, some of you may have heard it. And so the electric company actually pays us. So maybe, it's, maybe uh, zero isn't ideal. Maybe getting paid for your electricity is ideal. But you see the point. If you think in the manner of, let's see how we can economize to still provide for my family and have our needs and have a comfortable life and all of that, 
while reducing the need to spend, it's far more effective and efficient than simply shooting around in the dark and saying, okay, well, I guess I need to spend 30% or what, whatever the recommendations might be. Uh, and then the aim is to hit the targets that we have derived from our savings plans. Okay, and then you just want to review it monthly. That's why we call it the monthly spending plan. You review it monthly to make sure you're not spending more than you have allocated, and then you just adjust for the next month. So this is the monthly expense or spending plan. So this is Fanny's current spending. She's a nurse, and so her take-home pay, about $3,600. And you notice that all of her expenses taken together, and this is a sample uh, budget, income and expense. In business, it would be called an income statement or P&L statement, and she's got... 90% of her expenses are uh, taken up with all of these things. And then she's got a 10% savings rate. So for most people, uh, if you listen to the financial world, she's doing actually pretty good. 10%, a lot of people would pat her on the back and say, keep it up, you're doing pretty good. If you hit 15%, 20%, it's like, whoa, you are like rocking it. But, uh, but there's a problem. She's doing good by the typical measure uh, but let's take a look and compare with her savings plan, okay? Let's review her savings goals. So she's got a 10% savings rate, which means she is saving $360 per month for long-term savings, but she needs $770 a month to reach her long-term goals. Hmm. And she needs $15,000 for her short-term goals. So if we just do the math, you apply $360 to $770, you haven't even topped up that $770. So you've got nothing for your savings short term. And when is she ever going to reach $15,000? She's never going to get there. So you see how the savings plan now helps inform us when we're doing our spending plan. It gives us a, a target. It's like, I don't just say, oh, I've saved 10%. I'm doing pretty good. Well, 10% may not get you where you want to go. Okay, so what, what is she going to do? What are her options? Okay, looking at the situation, she's got this, the big picture before her now. She's got several options. Number one, she can adjust her savings goals. She, she can go back and say, you know what, maybe this is too much to spend on a car. Maybe this is too much to spend on a wedding or retirement, house down payment, what have you. She might adjust her goals downward. That's one option. The other option is she can increase her income. Work more shifts, overtime, find a new job, whatever, negotiate a raise. Three, she could live up to her name, she's frugal fanny after all, and cut her spending, right? Or she could do a combination of these things. But one thing that should not be on the table is debt. Because guess what? Debt is like the get out of the jail free card. If we use it, except it's not free by the way. So it's like, if we keep that option on the table, it becomes the go-to option all too often. I can just pull out my credit card and solve all of my problems. What we just don't realize is we're just kicking the can down the road and we're going to suffer for it later. And so just take this off the table, take it off the table, and see if we can adjust ourselves and our living instead. So as I mentioned before, uh, my preference generally is to cut the spending. But of course, increasing your income is good too. So let's just suppose she can't raise her income. Okay? and she wants to maintain her goals. So where does she need to be in her savings and her spending in order for her to still achieve these goals? So this is a savings-driven spending plan now. So 
She's looking at her goals over here and saying, okay, how can I manage my expenses so that I can hit those goals? I really want to have a nice wedding and I really need to uh, save up for it and not have to go into debt. So she figures that once she gets up to 35% savings rate, she can save for everything that she needs. So that goes up from $360 a month to $1,260. Now she can apply her $770 a month towards her long-term savings and have an extra $490 per month towards her short-term savings. And she will reach $15,000 in three years. Which if you look back, and also because once things get start paying off, it's sort of a snowball that actually gets faster as you go, she can, atta she can attain all of her goals. So the key here, she needs to be able to save 35% instead of 10%. Wow, that's a lot, right? So this is, now we're, we're seeing the full circle. So the long-term and short-term savings, it tells us, okay, how do we have to manage our spending? And then once we manage our spending, we take a look at the short-term savings, and there's a feedback loop here that we adjust as we go. So that's the illustration for that. So what this means is she needs an extra $900 per month. And that sounds like a, a whole lot of money, if you break it down, that's just $30 per day, okay? Still, it's gonna be, she's gonna have to make some changes. And this is the point. Sometimes for us to reach our goals, it's simple to understand and look at the numbers, but it may not be so easy to do, all right? So I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, but there's sometimes a need to take a reality check and see what we can actually, uh, what we're willing to accomplish to, to meet our goals, all right? So here's what she did. And this is just an example of some of the options that Fanny has to cut her spending down so that she can save 35%, okay? This might be different for you. Actually, I'm sure it'll be different for you, but just some examples. So her tithes and offerings, she's been giving 15%. That doesn't change. So rent, she saves $400 in rent. How does she do that? She gets a roommate. I know as a single person, sometimes it's very difficult, right, to, to give up the space. I understand. I've been there, done that. But this can be a temporary thing. You understand? You can look at it and say, I have these goals, and you just have to weigh. Is it more important for me to reach these goals, or is it more important for me to have my own place? That's a question you have to answer. But that's an option, right? Leave that option on the table. And so in her case, she decided to get a roommate. So she splits her rent in half and she has a roommate. Utilities and cell phones, she saved $100 from there. She switched from Verizon to uh, a prepaid plan or something like that. Uh, she saved a lot, and also her utilities now, because she got a roommate, she saves on utilities too, $100 a month. Food, okay, she saves $50 a month on food. Listen, you know how much that is? That's like eating out one less time a week, okay? And she's spending $250 a month on that, uh, which is still enough. You know, she's still able to eat. She just eats out less once a week. Okay, transportation, $200. She saves $150. She commutes. Now she carpools. That's an option. If she's close, instead of driving, she rides a bike. Or she walks. Or takes public transport. There are options. Whoops. There are options for her, and she saves that much just on gas. And maybe uh, her, her old car, you know, she replaced her car. She got a fuel-efficient car. I don't know what that might be, look like. Insurance, this is one of the things about insurance. You always, it always pays to shop around. Sometimes you'd be amazed that you are paying several times more than what you need to be 
for the same or lower coverage than what you could get with another insurer. So she shopped around for all of her different insurance plans and she saved 80 bucks on that. Okay, personal effects, and personal effects might be like hygiene products and clothes and stuff. $20 a month, that's like buying one less pair of shoes or something. All right, and recreation, $50. She just cancels her cable subscription. Bam, 50 bucks a month, right there. So these are just examples of things that she could do. Your situation may look different. You probably have other options on your table. You don't have to do exactly like what I'm suggesting, but the point I'm trying to illustrate is that there are options out there that sometimes we are not willing to consider because we think, I can't live without that, or I must have this, but it all comes back to what is the higher priority for you? To have this luxury or, or this certain lifestyle that you feel you are entitled to or you need versus the goals that you have set. Is it more important to pay for that mission trip, to have that wedding, to pay for the house down payment and whatnot? Okay, it's a value uh, comparison. And this is what the plans help us to do. So that brings us to the end of the spending plan section, but I do want to sort of recap how we view budgets differently. Okay, so most of the time when we think about uh, budgets, it's usually spending control, meaning you need to spend less money. And so you have a budget to control your spending. But the way we look at it is we're trying to maximize the savings. And there's a big difference in our perspective here. Because when you're saving as the goal, it answers the question of why. So you're in the department store or Black Friday and you see a computer or a dress or whatever and like, I need that. Well, how do I know? Why shouldn't I buy that dress? Why shouldn't I buy that gadget? If we are looking at our budget simply as a method of spending control, we'll say, I shouldn't buy it because I shouldn't spend this money. Well, what if you got a special gift or a birthday gift or a Christmas gift and you have an extra 20 bucks or whatever and like, I have the money, so I'm not overspending. But if the goal is I have this target that I'm saving for, it answers the question of why I shouldn't buy this dress is because it will set me back from being able to achieve the financial goals that my family and I have agreed on. You see the difference? It's the difference between the means versus the end. So spending control is like, we are trying to not run out of money, to not spend beyond our means. Whereas the end is, what's the goal that we're trying to achieve? So the illustration I think of is like, imagine if I said today, you know, we're gonna go on a road trip, and my goal on this road trip is to not run out of gas. Is that even a goal? It's almost like a prerequisite, right? It should go something more like this. On this road trip, my goal is to go to the Grand Canyon. And it is assumed, it's an assumption that you're not gonna run out of gas or else you're not gonna get to the Grand Canyon. So that's, that's the purpose. When you look at it, savings first, and then your spending is derived uh, to achieve the savings goals, it's the means versus the end question. Okay? It keeps the focus on the savings rate. And as I mentioned earlier, that's the number one most important thing to wealth building. And it makes achieving goals, uh, or achieving goals makes budgeting more motivating. So how motivating is it to stand there and say, I shouldn't spend this money because it's not in the budget? That's the way we view budgets, right? Like, I just can't spend this money. It's not in the budget. I, I know I shouldn't. I, I really want to. I just shouldn't. But wouldn't it be far more motivating to say, you know what? If I, could spend, if I don't spend this, it gives, me two months fa- it gets me to my goal two months faster. 
I can imagine two months earlier getting that vacation that I wanted to save up for. You see the difference in the motivation factor. And uh, that's why we view uh, budgets differently. So, in the last few minutes here of this seminar, we do need to talk about relationships. And this is the context in which all of this happens. Because what are the goals? The goals have to be agreed upon with the family. Long-term, short-term savings plans got to be agreed upon with the family. Monthly spending, you got to be in cahoots, all right, with the people that are in your life. So relationships form the um, context in which money decisions happen. So I'm going to talk to singles, and I'm going to talk to those who might be engaged, and I'm going to talk to those who are married. So if you're single, remember, who you marry is the single largest financial decision you'll ever make. <laughs> Key word here, financial decision. Financial incompatibility, uh, financial incompatibility is one of the most common contributors to divorce. It may not be the sole cause, but it always finds itself in all those stories. Okay? Money issues can bankrupt a marriage figuratively and literally. Okay? I don't need to share the horror stories with you, but I think you understand that. Make sure to find someone who is financially compatible. This is so important. So if you're single, how do you know? How do you know if they're compatible? Okay? We could spend a whole seminar talking about this, right? But uh, I think the relationship seminar is next door. And actually, he told me is dealing with uh, managing conflict. So uh, if there are conflicts, based on my seminar, after this, listen to Pastor Kiala, and he'll sort you out. So how do you know if you're compatible? Well, take a look at their career. Is this guy just living in mom's basement and, 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 and playing PlayStation? Or is he actually being serious with his career? Does he have debt problems? Or her? Okay. Watch their shopping habits. Gentlemen. You can tell who's a high-maintenance lady by the stores that they frequent. Okay? What are their family's money habits like? The apple never falls far from the tree. And uh, you can take that one to the bank. And what kind of gifts do they expect from you? Okay? That's, a, that's a very practical one. What kind of gifts do they expect? This is why I need to share with you that story that I hinted at Wednesday night on stage. You know, my wife... Uh, I was ready to propose to her, and uh, I bought her a watch, except I didn't pay anything for it. You see, I bought it on Amazon, and now I don't know, Amazon must be a cheap watch. No, actually, it was a nice watch. It wasn't diamonds or anything like that. It was a nice watch. It looks nice and all that, but I had some other point system that I had earned all these points, and so I was able to get this watch for free. And I know some of, these, some of the ladies would think, like, if any man does that, He's out of here, right? Like, so insincere, horrible, I can't believe it. And to a degree, I do feel guilty. Uh, but she said yes, okay, so uh, it still worked. So here's, here's my point, though, with that story. More than the watch, my wife loved the fact that I didn't pay for it even more. Okay? So what am I trying to say? The point is not the gift in and of itself, but is there a compatibility in the tastes and the, the mindset towards gift giving and the money uh, between you and your prospective spouse-to-be? So as in terms of my wife, we looked at the situation and I realized that that is a value that she would appreciate, okay? 
Men, don't do this to the ladies if this is not their way. Because uh, you just got to understand what the compatibility is with them. So obviously, some ladies, you know, anything less than an actual uh, a, a watch or gift that you paid for with your hard-earned cash would be less than adequate. It might not be enough. But others might be like my wife. Okay? That's up to you to determine based on evaluating the compatibility between each other. So, if you're engaged, remember, now is the time to make sure there are no money secrets. Okay? This is a short period of time be between singleness and married life. There should be no money secrets. So, you need to have the money talk. You need to discuss openly your views on money. You should be transparent and honest. So, after we got engaged, my wife said, I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh boy, uh-oh. I knew she needed to talk to me about something about money. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, okay, this is where she tells me she's got this massive loan and some massive money secret, and it's going to be like, you better sit down for this. And so she did. She's like, sit down, I need to tell you something. But on the contrary, what she told me was that she has saved up a huge sum of money. And she realized that it could alter the dynamics of our relationship. Because she has all this money, am I going to want her for her money now, right? And uh, the fact is, she was not a doctor. She was a nurse. She worked as a nurse for only two years. And then she was in self-supporting work. She worked at Wildwood and other places like it. But she managed to save up this war chest. And her goal was to buy a house uh, in cash. We'll talk about that more in the next session. And uh, you might even be able to figure out how much she saved up in the next session. Uh, but she had this talk with me. And she was worried what my response would be. And so I looked at the number, and I asked a few questions. And my response was not, I can't believe you had so much money. I can't, why didn't you tell me? It wasn't like that. And I don't know why I did this, but somehow the Lord knew. And so I told her, you know what? You have been putting your money in accounts that have earned, like, no interest. You could have had, like, twice the amount that you have now. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, why didn't she slap me? <laughs> but on the contrary, my wife actually, prior to that moment, she, you know, was looking at my spending habits, and she was actually concerned that I spent too much money, which, you know, I have a phase, and I am still the spender of the family. I confess to that. Um, and so she was worried how this was going to change things. Like, is he just going to want to spend it all, or... How is he going to view this? Is this going to change things? And when I came back and I explained to her, you are very safe with your money, but you actually could have earned a lot more and not really jeopardized the safety. Like, you know, put in a CD that's a little higher yielding or, you know, something like that. And uh, she realized, yeah, this is the right guy for me. Uh, she's like, I'll do all the saving. You can figure out the rest. And you can, uh, you can do the investing. And so, see, we had the money talk. As a result of that talk, we were able to agree on our money goals before we got married. How much are we going to spend on this wedding? If we get all this extra, what are we going to do with it? Who are we going to give the money to first, right? And then uh, what are we going to save the money for? I was going to school. Are we, going to, you know, are we going to borrow money for me to go to school? Or are we going to work our way through? Is she okay with working? You know, all of these things we got to talk about. And uh, if you aren't clear on where each other stand on money, you aren't ready to get married. That's just the fact. And plan the wedding together. It will uncover a lot. I know a lot of men, they're like, oh, that's a women's thing. Let them deal with it. And then they get the bill. It's like, 
Maybe I should have participated more. So plan the wedding together, and it becomes clear through the process. It's like a mini uh, experiment of how you're going to make plans for other events later in your life, because you've got your whole life ahead of you, and you've got to make sure you guys are compatible. So if you're married, okay, let's uh, conclude here. We've got a few more minutes. Remember, money is a team sport. Money is a team sport. You can't just go it on your own. You've got a teammate with you. So you have become one flesh, and that means your bank accounts too. Okay? So I need to make this comment, and that is when I say your bank accounts too, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to merge all your accounts necessarily. You can have quote-unquote separate accounts as long as you both have access to each other's accounts. The point here is no secrets. If you're married to this woman or man, if you're keeping secrets from her, shame on you. This is not appropriate, okay? So if you've got two different accounts, it's okay. Just make sure you have access to each other's information. And I know, I know that there are some families, that's the way to help prevent one family member from spending the whole family's money, okay? So that might be something that uh, needs to be put in place if that's what works in your family. But just make sure everyone has the passwords, accounts, everyone can see the statements. There's no secrets. That's the bottom line. Okay, and then you should have one primary person be the financial caretaker. You don't want to have too many cooks in the kitchen, so to say, but you want to create and review your savings and spending plans together. You want to work on your goals together, but one person can be the primary executor of the plan that the family, the family council has agreed upon. Okay, and pick whoever's better at math. Just, just, just saying. Um, and then set a dollar amount over which no purchase occurs without joint discussion. So this is very important because it gives some level of freedom, you know, whatever the dollar amount that you agree on. It's a rule. You're not going to harp on someone's case because they spent, you know, $5 on something that they didn't talk to you about first, but they're not going to go out and spend $5,000 without telling you either, right? It's an agreement in the family firm. And, uh, you know, for some families, you know, the dollar amount might be really high because you know, everyone's on the same page. So that's something between you and your spouse to work out together. So include some fun money for each other in the budget. This is important. Christ isn't, you know, Jesus doesn't want us just to be constrictive and deprive ourselves. We talked about this in the last session. It's okay to have some money for appropriate recreation and things for the family. And make sure to celebrate the victories together. Okay, if you get out of debt, you pay off your house, celebrate it. Make it a big deal. Help the kids see that the family is in this together. Okay, make the finances a point of unity for the family rather than a point of conflict. So if you, if you have the goals, right, listed on paper, the kids can know about it, the husband and wife agree on it. When you reach the goals, you can celebrate. Okay, and so it becomes a point of joy. Finances is not like, oh, drudgery, oh, we don't have enough money, oh, we're complaining and, and then we have conflict and we're arguing about it again. It's more like, hey, how, how close are we to uh, raising the money that we're going to give to this church plant project in Africa or something, right? It could be, how close are we to paying for our trip to GYC next year, right? Make it a point of unity or sponsoring a child in another country. Make it something that we can drive towards a goal Instead of always slapping each other's hands and saying, don't buy that, don't do, don't do that, why are you spending that money? Don't make that the conversation ab about money in the home. And you never know. It might even become fun. You might even decide to start your own finance blog too. 
So let me just share this uh, final life hack real quick. We're, we're about out of time here. So this is a life hack just to throw out there, just to inspire you at what, what is possible. Okay, so let's say you get married, and for just one year after you get married, if you live on just one income and invest a second, assuming both of you are working, and invest all of the second plus the cash wedding gifts, you might be done saving for retirement completely. Okay, is this a potential, not a guarantee, but it is something that could happen. For an example, you suppose you get married at 25. Let's say both of you are 25 and both spouses work. And let's say one income plus all of the wedding cash gifts from the wedding equals $50,000. Let's just suppose one year income plus all the wedding gifts, 50 grand. If you invested it at 8%, and we'll talk about 8% tomorrow, I know there were some questions about that, if that's realistic or not. Uh, and then in 40 years, so when they turn 65, that $50,000 has turned into almost 1.2 million. So it's just one year and they don't save another dime, okay? And notice, this will yield 1.2 million at a 4% withdrawal rate, which is, which is what most people uh, recommend as a safe rate of withdrawal. That's $48,000 a year. And notice, $48,000 a year is nearly 50,000, nearly what you put in just that one time. This is the power of compound interest that we talked about earlier, and having the family firm on the same footing, may, maybe tightening the belt for a short period of time, and then guess what? You don't have to save another dime for 40 years. And this is, this is an opportunity for freedom for the family to do more for the Lord. So this is a summary. We have our life events uh, plans, long-term, short-term saving plans, feeds into our monthly spending, uh, a feedback loop here with our savings plans, and all happening within the context of relationships. So let's summarize real quick, and then we'll end. Whoops, let me go back here. You must have a plan, or you will never reach your destination. That's the goal. Uh, that's the point of Christ's story. Count the cost when you're trying to build a tower. Financial plans reveal our priorities in life. It's about real life and achieving real goals in real life. It's not just theoretical math problems anymore. Plan ahead for life events instead of relying on debt. Very important. Saving goals should drive our monthly spending decisions. Okay? This dynamic right here helps us have a goal for which to shoot for. Marriage is the most important financial decision we will make. And money is a team sport. Husband and wife must be united. So these are summary points for our, uh, this session. And so this brings us uh, to the end of session number three here. And I am a little bit over, so let me pray, and I'll let you go. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us guidance, even uh, in a drowsy, sleepy, and warm afternoon. I pray that you will guide us as we seek to make appropriate plans uh, to attain the goals that you set before us. And uh, be with us in the remainder of this GYC conference and also the next session here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.